Welcome to MPs in Depth. A lot of political media is just the same recycled party lines over and over. Here we get to know our representatives as people. Today we're speaking with Melissa Lee, National List MP since 2008 and New Zealand's first Korean Member of Parliament. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So broadly speaking, what's your political philosophy? Well, uh, I don't want to sound like anybody else, but I'm a very proud National Party member and a National Party uh, MP, and I have been one uh, for four terms, coming up um, close to ending the fourth term. And I guess my political sort of uh, persuasion is, has, uh, I guess my voting record actually shows I'm a, I'm a conservative. Sometimes I, I never knew how conservative I was. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, I, you know, sometimes I, you know, you, you live your life and when you were younger, you sort of think you're a little bit more liberal and whatever you, and then, you know, when you're voting uh, on issues um, and then you're thinking through it and my voting record would actually show that I'm quite conservative. And uh, sometimes that actually sort of surprised me as well, because I think I've, I was a little bit on the liberal side, but maybe not. <laughs> so do you think there was a change? Like as you got older, your views changed or perhaps just kind of your understanding of where you were on the spectrum got a little bit more perspective as you grew older? Oh, I think it's probably, I think I've always been conservative. I was raised in a Korean family. I grew up in Korea, left Korea as a child. I lived under the you know roof of Korean parents who were very conservative. Uh, and I think, I, I think when I was much younger, I probably was under the uh, misconception that maybe perhaps I was a little bit more liberal than my parents. And uh, you know, you know, the adage, you know, that says you actually end up uh, being just like your parents. I think I've turned out to be just like my mother. <laughs> so I listened to your maiden speech to kind of get a better idea of what your what your opinions were, I suppose. And the one line that really stood out to me was that you felt in New Zealand we teach our children that it's okay for them to be losers. Is is that the kind of hardline approach you still hold? Um. Yeah. I get. Yeah. I. I just think you know it's. Uh, one of the things that I remember um, is that I went to a, it was actually a um, school event where the children were doing a speech competition and the teacher basically said, it's okay, it's all about, you know, participation, you don't have to worry about it. And, you know, I was a keynote speaker at the event and I was one of the judges. And I'm sorry to say, but when you're in a competition, it's about who's do, who, who actually wins the competition, Right. And all I could say to them, I said, I, I disagree with the teacher that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you actually, you know, lose. Uh, this is actually about winning. And, you know, you just need to do your very best. And it doesn't, it's not an indication that, you know, if you don't do well, then, you you know, um, it's about participation. This is a competition. So I think sometimes we actually expect less from our children than they are capable of. I think context is really, really important. If it's a competition, it's about, it's like you don't actually expect the All Blacks to go to the World Cup and say, yeah, just to be great participants. You actually want them to bring back the World Cup. So do you think that New Zealand as a country has a culture of low expectations or do you think this is actually a problem that falls at the government's feet and that we've got real policy issues? that are encouraging people to not take personal responsibility? I, I think it's both. I think, you know, I think for some some sectors and some generations, and I think, you know, we've, we've actually got into a, um, 
uh, a place where you know people have low expectation of themselves and i think i think we need to teach our children and our youth and our you know um, young adults to actually have better expectations better outcomes and you know better goals uh, than what they're aspiring to. And it, it's always sort of, you know, I, I found it really, really strange when people talk about the minimum wage. For me, it's like, why would you strive for the minimum wage? You actually want to do better than that. Minimum wage was never a concern. I was never going to earn minimum wage. Do you think that I, the, the argument against that, though, is that for some people, they just don't have the opportunities, particularly regarding the minimum wage. Some people say it's great to be ambitious, but circumstances of particular people mean they just won't ever have opportunities beyond the very minimum the state guarantees. Yeah, and I understand that. And I think some people do have that um, um, issue. And that is the reason why there is a state support. There is, that is the reason why we have minimum wage. I'm actually not talking about the reasons why we have, um, you know, social support for people who actually need it. I'm actually talking about people out there who don't necessarily need it, but who actually talk about having to have it when they don't need it. And how do we fix that? Um, I think, you know, I think we've always sort of talked about aspirational, you know, John Key used to talk about being aspirational for New Zealand. John Key used to say we can never actually get rich as a nation. And, you know, wealth um, is not just about fiscal richness. It's actually about, you know, the mentality as well, that we need to be proud. We need to be aspirational. We need to actually think better of ourselves. We need to actually shoot for the stars, you know. I think, you know, we can do so much better than where we are. See, this attitude, this ambitious and I think optimistic attitude from you isn't the kind of attitude that I think one encounters all the time. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the experiences that you've had and the life that you've led that might have led you to holding this particular outlook on life, even if you wanted to start at childhood and just walk us through how you got to where you are today. Wow. Um, I don't think my outlook is, you know, too different to many people. I, you know, I've had a fairly I didn't come from a rich family. I, I came from a very sort of average family. But I can, what I can tell you is that my parents worked really, really hard and they provided for their two children. You know, my mother worked, my father worked, but, you know, um, both of them were available for us anytime we actually needed. Um, and we never went without in the sense that, you know, um, we didn't want for luxurious things but you know when we did want something you know my parents actually provided it for us by working you know two jobs or three jobs I remember when we first moved to New Zealand back in 1988 my parents um, you know tried many different businesses um, as a lot of migrants do some failed uh, some were successful but my parents uh, the one that I remember is that my mother ran a dairy on in Grafton and from there, they ran an, uh, an export, um, uh, import and export business. Uh, we were the first ones to actually import Korean groceries to New Zealand and the processes that uh, actually, you know, required clearance with the Ministry of Agriculture, um, primary industries now. And, you know, every time they actually tested a product, it cost them $3,000. And though, back in those days, that was a lot of money. But my parents worked from like 6 o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock at the dairy and back then, I was a young reporter at News Media Auckland, working for Sunday News. And you know, when I when my friends finished work at five o'clock and they were actually going to the pub, um, I knew that 
I was expected to actually get home to where my parents were running the dairy so I can actually give my parents time off so they have relief, uh, so they're not there all day. And then while I'm there, you know, pricing or cleaning, my parent, my mother would actually cook a meal because we, we had a, um, an apartment attached to it. Um, and, you know, as a family, uh, my brother will come back from uni and as a family, we would actually have a meal together. And I would stay there till 11, closing time. And then, you know, um, we as a family will actually, you know, um, go home to our house. At the time, my parents had a house in Green Lane where I was living. And yeah, it's it, it was always, and you know, while there, I, I was working a full-time job as a reporter. I helped out with mom and dad. And I also was um, interpreting for the police, the courts. You know, there's, yeah, you work. And it's not because you're driven by cash, but it was stuff that, you know, you were expected to do as part of a family. I never got paid for it, helping my parents. And also, you know, when I was doing the interpreting, it was because there was no Korean interpreter available. And I basically got roped in one day when I went to, you know, do a story at the Auckland District Court and a police officer who recognized me as a, you know, knew that I was a journalist, but knew that I was a Korean and actually pulled me into a, a court case where a Korean person was appearing um, and they needed interpreting. And that's how I ended up doing work with the police as well. You know, it's, it's sort of long history, but yeah, you just work, you know, you work and you actually, um, as you know, I, I remember doing extra work and actually saving enough money to actually buy my parents, you know, nice gifts. And these are this this is the kind of work ethic that I sort of grew up with, you know. I don't think most people have that kind of work ethic, though. Do you? Um, well, I this is I, I guess I see myself as a sort of a typical migrant, um, one point five second generation, you know, and a lot of migrants when they come here, um, that is the kind of typical story, you know, they they work one, two, three jobs to make extra money so they can actually make ends meet and they can actually progress their family forward. They're in a foreign country, they don't have any family support, they've got no bank history, you know, this is what they do, right? And this is what my family did. And that is not a judgment on anybody else. This is this is my history. This is this is where I come from. Aside from I suppose the amount of work you were doing and it sounds like you were happy to do, what was the rest of your experience with immigrating to New Zealand? Did you feel that you faced a lot of racism, for example? Um I'm sure I did, but I, I, I think I'm I'm one of these people that I think I've learned over the years. I've I've lived outside of Korea for many, many years now. And I think I've learned to sort of brush things off. It's like, you know, let it pass. Because if you hold it, you sort of hold a grudge. And I guess, you know, you try and avoid hurt. I think that's my way of coping. And, you know, I I just ignore them, I guess. And I guess for a very long time, I, I never really, personally, I don't think I have actually experienced huge amounts of racism. I mean, occasionally you hear people like, you know, say, I, I remember one time, I think somebody was driving past and, you know, yelled out, you know, something really, really rude. I'm not so sure if I can actually swear on this one, but, you know, they were swearing at me, telling me, uh, calling me derogatory names, calling, you know, of a different Asian um, culture. And basically, you know, I think they they were trying to tell me to um, go home to um, my birth country and they even got the wrong country. And I think I yelled <laughs> out, I yelled out back and said, at least get the right country. <laughs> Ignoramus, I think that was sort of, you know, I think I was probably swearing back. 
you know, but it's like, you know, you sort of ignore those things, eh? It's like, I, you know, you don't hold it. Um, I'm sure there were. I mean, odd. I have to tell you the story. My goodness, I think when I first went for a job, um, I guess some people would actually call it racism. I, I, I never thought of it that way, but I'm, you just reminded me of it. When I first went for a job at a newspaper, um, the editor who actually eventually ended up interviewing me came in and actually first question he asked me was, do you speak English? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> at least you could reply with an affirmative yes. Uh, no, it was actually, I put on my most Australian accent at the time because I had just come back from Australia and I said, do ya mate? <laughs> and I think, I think we just laughed and he says, oh, sorry. And then we just progressed. And then I think he became, he became a huge mentor of mine in the end. But, you know, I ne- when you think about it, so yeah, is that racism or is that sort of, you know, yeah. You worked in journalism and now you're in parliament. What made you want to make that switch? I, I don't think I was actually looking for a switch. I, I've always had a um, desire to be in public office um, ever since I was a child. I think I've told this story to quite a few people in many different platforms that when I was um, growing up, I think, you know, in school, when you're in primary one, you know, the teacher normally asks you this question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think all my friends actually said, you know, they want to be a fireman, they want to be a police officer, they want to be a doctor, they want to be a nurse. I, I was the shortest kid in my class um, and and I had the loudest voice and I stood up and apparently I was really, really precise. I said, I want to be the first female president of South Korea. So you just decided at, at some point while you're in journalism that now was the time for quite a long-held goal. Going no, uh, it wasn't all of a sudden in 2008 decided to actually sort of um, uh, become an MP. I had been, as a journalist, I think, you know, you sort of feel that you cannot you cannot actually sign up to party membership because you want to at least appear neutral, that you're not biased. And if anything, I think I, I was biased against the National Party. I was harder on the National Party ministers and MPs when I was um, interviewing them and, you know, I think that was trying to actually show that I wasn't biased towards them, if you know what I mean. So I think national party MPs and ministers actually got the bet, you know, sad end of the stick really. But I, yeah, I, I knew Pansy Wong um, long before she actually became an MP. She, I'm so proud that she was the first, you know, Asian MP to uh, be, um, you know, elected to New Zealand parliament back in 1996 And I actually helped her with a campaign, you know, during that time. And there was an approach from the party, um, you know, they actually asked me maybe I should actually stand as well. And I could have potentially stood in 1999, but I uh, was pregnant and gave birth to my son in 1998. And I didn't think it was possible for me with a young child to actually enter uh, the foreign politics, really. I, I just could not see myself doing that with a young child. So I postponed and I sort of decided not to come in. And then um, the party actually, um, you know, politely asked me again over the years. And, you know, I, it was, it just wasn't the right time because my son was too young. But for the coming up to the election of 2008, they approached me a couple of years before then and says, hey, this might be the last time that we approach you, you know, you should seriously consider this. And I went, oh, gosh. Um, and then I, I, I thought about it seriously because I really wanted to make a contribution. You know, as a journalist, you actually feel that you can raise an issue and highlight 
pinpoint problems, but you can never fix the problem. And then as an MP, you can actually do some good. And so I went back to my family. You know, I by then I was a single mother. And, you know, I needed my parents, um, I needed my mom to actually sort of, you know, assist um, with the childcare. And that was going to be a serious, you know, coordination. And I, you know, and my mom was very, you know, generous. And she's always been like that, actually. She's always been the one who actually encouraged me. My father was the one who was always a a little bit more cautious uh, in my career path. And uh, mum said, go for it. You know, what have you got to lose? You know, and, you know, your son's going to be in good hands. You know, I've raised you well. I think I can raise your son. And I asked my son if he thought it was actually, you know, going to be okay. And he thought it was really brilliant. One of the the question he actually asked me, which I still remember, is that does that mean that you're going to be working with the prime minister? He was only he was only like I think in two thousand and eight he was he was ten so you know he was much younger when I asked him the question so yeah <laughs> so there you go that's how it actually became to be you finally relented in other words um yeah I mean it's not like I was so popular and they were like begging me to come in it's just it's just one of those things I think it was sort of like you know yeah it was meant to be it was fated. And, you know, I believe that there is a path that you're supposed to walk and, you know, all stars align and it happens. So is there one thing you'd really like to achieve while you're there? Um, There are, you know, there are many things that you actually do as an MP, you know, and um, I think representing the ethnic communities has been something that I feel that I've done very well. And actually, you know, raising the voice um, voices of um, the minority. I mean, I hate calling people minority, but, you know, the voices that are not regularly heard in mainstream. I mean, that was my motivation when I did my television program on TV One, Asia Down Under, and it's, it's still the same thing that I, I was actually doing here in Parliament. I will always be a, a Korean-born national MP who happens to share, you know, have a Korean culture as well as Kiwi, but I'm more Kiwi. You know, I've lived in New Zealand longer. And, you know, but because of what I look like um, and, you know, I can't change that. And I will always be considered an outsider, I guess, you know, to a lot of people. And I want to make sure that people who come behind me, whether, you know, young people who are growing up in New Zealand, I don't want them to go through the issue of racism. I don't want them to have the discrimination. And I want, you know, I, I just want people to accept the fact that New Zealand is a is a country that has diversity. You know, people of, you know, New Zealand, New Zealanders are made up of many, many different cultures. And we speak many, many languages. We eat many, you know, different kinds of foods. And we should just respect the fact that, you know, we are all the same, but we're also different. So I'll just ask one final question before you have to despair off. You have a reputation as being one of New Zealand's best opposition MPs. Really? And by that, I don't mean necessarily the best of national, but I think you've got a real reputation as holding the government to account and being very good at, I suppose, that that critical role of opposition. What do you think makes you so good at your job? Wow, that's a huge compliment. Uh, I've, I've, I haven't heard that. This is the first time I'm actually hearing this. Um, that's a huge compliment. Well, I guess it's, it's, it's sort of a combination of um, many things. I don't think I do it on my own. Um, I have a good team. I have, you know, a group of colleagues that I talk regularly. I mean, when we're working on, you know, written questions and OIAs, I don't just keep it for myself. We actually share information as a team. 
I have a fantastic um, uh, researcher and advisor in my office um, who works his butt off. And, you know, and I think, you know, I also um, work really hard. And I think we have a sense of justice uh, in holding the government to account. And, you know, um, yeah, I was a former journalist. (laughs) I think I know how to do this job. Wonderful. Melissa, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me.